As we said last week, discussing dominant sins in this old world is not a thrilling, I would personally rather be in the lives of some of these Bible characters and, and learn how to be more faithful and learn how to be stronger uh, through their examples. But at the same time, we must, we must be responsible. We must uh, look to the Lord and see what He would have us to do about all the evil that um, surrounds us. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11... Paul says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Reprove them. He had just said you were in darkness, but now as Christians we are children of light. As children of light we are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. There's nothing good in, the, in sin. There's not one prophet in sin. But rather we are to expose those things which are harmful so that we can be stronger and so we can be a, a guiding light in our families and among our neighborhoods in our schools and our workplaces. And so that's the spirit of of why we're tackling this um, homosexual, lesbian, transgender agenda uh, that is uh, surrounding us. The, the movement is very aggressive, very aggressive. I have to admit that as I was trying to become an adult many years ago, I didn't take it seriously. I thought, I thought, Nobody will take that seriously. Surely not in our nation. Surely not in our nation. Um, not in a place where I grew up. No, never, never. But I've learned better. I've learned, I've learned a little bit since then. I was noticing this little article on um, the Apologetics Press. Uh, we had uh, Jeff Miller here a um, year and a half ago or so, and he has uh, detailed some of the um, the events over the years that have brought this agenda and movement closer and closer to us. And I just wanted to refer to some of that um, as we get started here. Um, dozens, he says, dozens of children's books um, have been written to promote this. Children's books. Um, some of the titles are Jack and Jim, uh, King and King, Jack and Jim to King and King to One Dad, uh, Two Dads, Brown Dad, Blue Dads, uh, To My Two Uncles, Heather Has Two Mommies, and all these were written to target uh, children. Um, he mentions here that the Girl Scouts were targeted. Um, they changed their gu guidelines for white boy back in 1980 to allow lesbian scouts and troop leaders. As of 1997, the staff in the Girl Scouts was said to be 33% lesbian. And so as that goes. And then he... Um, 
mentions a few of the entertainment um, events that have brought this closer and closer to us. In 1971, the show, do you remember this show? I was barely born by, at that time. But, uh, do you remember the show All in the Family? They were the first show ever on TV to depict a gay character, according to this. Um, in 1982, President Ronald Reagan implemented a defense directive stating that homosexuality is incompatible with military service and that homosexuals and bisexuals are discharged immediately from the military. That's changed a little bit since then. It's 1982. In 2006, there was a movie came out called Brokeback Mountain uh, that uh, depicted love between two homosexual cowboys. Uh, it was released and nominated for six Academy Awards. And it, uh, it was uh, the 15th highest grossing romance drama film of all time. Can you believe that? So he just um, sort of brings to our awareness how this movement has become so aggressive uh, over the years, much more to it uh, than that. But this um, aggression brings about quite a bit of pressure on those who claim faith uh, in Christ. And um, for example, uh, Carrie Underwood, who claims um, to have Christian faith, uh, she is uh, popular uh, in stating way back in 2012 that her Christian faith leads her to accept uh, gay marriage. Her Christian faith, her Christian faith leads her to accept gay marriage. And so that's kind of the direction that we're in this evening is how that, that this movement is brought upon us and it seeks to convince good people that it is okay, that it is to be accepted, that you can be a Christian, you can continue to look at yourself as a good person and also accept uh, this agenda. We're not surprised by this because we read in Second Corinthians um, eleven fourteen that that Satan will often fashion himself as an angel of light. Rarely does Satan just come out with it and say, here's what I'm about. Rather, he loves to, he loves to cover it with a covering of light or righteousness, that this is something that's good, that this is something that will be good for you and good for your family. And so that's kind of the direction we're going uh, this evening. One of the popular things to say along those lines is that Jesus never specifically or in an explicit way condemned homosexuality. In other words, Jesus never said the words homosexuality is a sin. He didn't, I, I don't guess, said that, in so many, said that in so many words. Let's respond to that. That's what I want to do for a few minutes is respond to that idea that Jesus never uh, condemned it. What shall we say uh, in reference to that? Here's the first thing we say. Jesus, Jesus did not have the time, be turning over to John 16 in your Bibles, but Jesus did not have the time 
And the disciples did not have the mind to be able to receive all the teaching that Jesus wanted them to receive in the short time he had on earth. Remember, he only lived to be about 33 uh, years old, and then his public ministry was only three and a half years or so. Jesus didn't have time to teach his disciples and teach the multitudes that he was doing, do the traveling that he was doing, and heal all the people that he healed, and still be able to teach them all that they would need to, to know uh, for the world. And plus, they couldn't receive it all anyway. Notice what it said here in um, John 16. Looking down to about verse uh, 12. Jesus said to his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. They will hear them, but just not now. When the Spirit of truth, he says in John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, but he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are uh, to come. And so as we know that the Spirit of truth would be sent upon the apostles, and this occurred on the day of Pentecost, and they were guided into all the truth. Every bit of it. And so, Paul was an apostle. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 14, and down in verse 37. 1 Corinthians 14, chapter 14, and verse 37. He says, If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are the commandments of the Lord. Of the Lord. The Lord Jesus. So indeed the Lord did with Paul and with Peter and John and others. He did guide them into further teachings. And these men, they did in a very explicit way condemn, in a very bold way, they condemned this practice of homosexuality. Let's look at a couple of examples here. Look, turn on, let's just start way back in Jude. Uh, turn, your, turn your Bibles with me to Jude, and then we'll just flip back toward uh, the beginning of the New Testament. Look at Jude and look down to verse uh, 7 with me. He says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah, you see this? Jude verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, uh, they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Okay. They pursued, um, the American Standard Version has strange flesh or unnatural desires. That's, that's a condemnation of this kind of a relationship that we're talking about. Now go back with me to Timothy, 1 Timothy. Okay. So 1 Timothy 1 beginning in verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 1 beginning in verse 8. Paul says, Now we know that the law is good, if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, 
for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, and for men who practice homosexuality, those who are enslavers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. So Paul there, with the gospel, he is condemning the practice of homosexuality. Notice back in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and you're familiar with this, verse uh, 9. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither, neither the fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, or drunkards, or revilers, or swindlers. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Notice that. Such were some of you. Some of them have been practicing homosexuality, but they have been washed. They've been justified. They've been sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, they've become Christians. It is totally possible to turn away from uh, this kind of practice. And then, of course, you know about Romans chapter 1, and we'll quickly look at that, and then we'll move on. Romans... Uh, chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 18. Romans 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now whatever follows here, then notice how Paul labels it. This is all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And you know what follows here. He, he, he names a bunch of uh, unrighteous things. And part of that uh, is this unnatural desire toward the same gender. We'll pick up in Romans 1, 24. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations and desires with women and were consumed with passion for one another committing shameless acts with men and receiving in, in themselves the due penalty for their error. So notice how this is labeled by Paul. It's an error. It is shameless acts. Okay. Uh, it is unnatural. They're consumed with passions one for another. These are called dishonorable passions in verse uh, 20, 26. On top of that, verse 18 says all this is unrighteous and ungodly. And so, the fact is that Jesus didn't have time to teach everything he needed to teach. And the, and the apostles would not have the mind. Think about how hard it was for them just to understand the nature of the church. It took them quite a while to understand and, and, and help from the Holy Spirit to understand the nature of the church. And so they had a lot of things to absorb, but they did absorb them and with good 
and with good information uh, from God, uh, they received it and they were able to write it down and we have it uh, today. David, the point would be that they had a hard time handling it, but the Holy Spirit helped them. By the time the Holy Spirit being within them, he could just plug right in and say, okay, here it is. Yeah. Yeah, the Holy Spirit was to guide them into all the truth concerning things that Jesus had said. The Holy Spirit helped them remember the things that Jesus had said and done. And then things that Jesus wanted them to know. And about things that were to come in the future. Uh, John had a lot about to write about that in the book of Revelation. So uh, the Spirit was well able to guide these men, and he did. And so we're thinking about this idea that Jesus did not specifically condemn this practice okay. so this is one thing you say in response to that but another thing though is think about some things that Jesus did not condemn specifically that we know that he did not condone we know Jesus for example he would not condone polygamy would he of course not but do you, do you read of a place anywhere where it says Jesus says I say that polygamy, polygamy is a sin you, know, you won't read that we know by principle that Jesus would never uh, condone that. Jesus would never condone the use of drugs like um, uh, crystallized meth or, um, or cocaine or any of those things. We would not find him specifically listing those sins, but we know that uh, through his teachings and through his example that he would never uh, condone that whatsoever, and we would need to stay away from that. But the fact is, this is the main point. Jesus did condemn homosexuality. He did himself. And we're going to notice the ways in which he did that. First, by the use of a word that is translated fornication. Fornication. Look in your Bibles to Matthew 15. Matthew 15. It's around verse 19. We'll pick up the context here. Peter said to Jesus in verse 15, Matthew 15, verse 15, he says, explain what you've been saying. Explain this parable to us. He said, are you also still without understanding? You see how slow they were to understand? Um, And we would be much like them probably. But verse 17, Matthew 15, 17 Jesus said, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and it is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds uh, from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, and then here it is, fornication, maybe your Bible says sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. Now, fornication covers a broad... um, spectrum of sexual sins. Any sexual activity outside of marriage is fornication. Whether it be prostitution or whether it be incest or whether it be homosexuality, whether it be adultery, fornication covers every um, type of sexual sin that would be, well, sexual sin would be any sex outside of marriage. Hebrews 13, verse 4, you know, uh, says, Let marriage be had in honor among all, and let the bed be undefiled, for fornicators and adulterers God 
uh, will judge. So Jesus does condemn it right here. This is this is his this is his passage. These are his words in Matthew 15, uh, verse 19. Now, the second idea is to notice how Jesus uh, comments on Sodom and Gomorrah. You'll want to see this. Look over in Matthew 11, uh, where Jesus comments on, on Sodom and Gomorrah. This, this should open up our eyes a little bit as well. Matthew chapter 11, we'll just pick up in verse 20. Matthew 11, verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities which most where most of his mighty works have been done, Matthew 11, verse 20, because they did not repent. This is a key word right here uh, in this little paragraph. Uh, Verse 21, Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? For you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works have been, that have been done in Sodom, notice this, if the mighty works done in you have been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So notice how Jesus links the idea of repentance with the activities of, uh, in Sodom as well. Right. I was checking also the parallel passage here in um, Luke seventeen twenty-eight and 29. Jesus in a similar way says this. Luke seventeen twenty-eight and 29. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, Remember, Lot went and pitched his tent tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, As it was in the days of Lot, Luke 17, 28, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So in other words, Jesus is right in line with the condemnation that was brought upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And we realize the type of of sin that was dominant in Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, uh, let your Bibles run back to uh, Genesis 18. And just let your eyes go from Genesis 18, 20 and onward. And you can quickly see the condemnation that's brought upon this type of activity. Beginning in verse uh, 20, Genesis 18, 20, the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and notice this, and their sin is very grievous, or very grave, their sin is very grievous, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Now we need to realize that everything that human beings do, God sees it. God sees everything. All the cheating, all the the adultery, all the fornication, every sin that's done on earth, God is completely, immediately aware of it, as he was here with Sodom. So, 
Continue in verse uh, 22. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Notice that those men in Sodom were labeled wicked. Okay. So their sin is very grievous. And these are wicked men. And it's because of their, their deeds. Now looking over to Genesis 19. Remember that these men, these visitors, these two angels came to Lot's house. And um, notice Luke, uh, Genesis 19, we'll just begin in verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on. They said, No, we'll just spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Verse 4, Genesis 19. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house and they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we may what? So that we may know them. See that in, Luke, in Genesis 19 verse 5? So we may know them. They wanted to know these men. That's a, that's a sexual word. You can compare Genesis 4 verse 1 or Matthew 1 25 and you can see that the word know is often used in scripture uh, as a sexual word. They wanted to be sexual with these men. And, um, and Lot refused. David just, just proved that was Jesus. Now one said the Lord. And secondly said he bowed down to him and he accepted that worship. Okay. Right. So Jesus did condemn him. Yeah. So you can see that Jesus in his commentary on Sodom and Gomorrah, and we see this connection back to Genesis 18 and 19, that Jesus does um, uh, condemn it. Now before we leave the idea of Sodom and Gomorrah, let your Bibles run back over to the New Testament to Second uh, Peter chapter 2 right quick. Notice that Jesus comments on Sodom and Gomorrah, and then he... He led his apostles to teach on this subject. So notice what Peter says about it. Second Peter 2, um, verse 6. Second Peter 2, verse 6. If by, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Ungodly, notice that. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. Notice that, the wicked. Okay. For as the righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord also knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So notice again how that this conduct is labeled and so Jesus does uh, condemn uh, this type of activity, this type of sin. Right. Now, 
One of the main passages to think about when you think about Jesus and sexual sin is Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. And you remember when the Pharisees asked, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Jesus said, have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and the two shall be one flesh. Wherefore, there are no longer two but one flesh. Notice what Jesus does here. This is, this is not only interesting, but it's, but it's interesting in light of the sin of homosexuality. Notice that Jesus combines both Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 in Matthew 19. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we read God saying, Let us make man in our likeness. Let us make him in our image. And he made them male and female. Okay. Jesus is referring to that. But also Jesus refers to Genesis 2. What is it? 24, 25. When it says, um, A man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his, to his wife. And the two shall be uh, one flesh. So notice he says in Matthew 19 verse 5. He quotes from Genesis 2. But then before that he quotes from Genesis 1. But he combines the two. Combines the two. And he says, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man, shall a man, man, male, leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. This wife is the woman. Okay, Genesis 2, the woman had just been made from the rib of man. She should be called woman, Genesis 2 says. For she was taken out of man. And so you see here that Jesus is clearly saying that it is a man who is to leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto the woman and make her his wife. Jesus, by, by referring to Genesis 2 and Genesis 1 and combining them into a, a really nice little divine commentary there, he shows us what God has in mind when he created man and woman. And staying right here with Jesus in Matthew 19, notice how Jesus defines marriage. Okay. Of course, man, woman, for life. Okay. Shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife. And you know how powerful that word cleave is. The two shall be one flesh. What God has put together, let not man, I think that's very powerful, let not man, don't let a man, don't let anybody in that marriage, don't let anybody surrounding that marriage, don't let anybody anywhere put that marriage asunder. Notice how Jesus defines marriage. By, By defining marriage this way, he condemns any other arrangement that man might come up with might design and there's been a lot of those but he is condemning homosexuality lesbianism um, by stating what marriage should be then and Jesus doesn't have to go and can you imagine how absurd that would be for Jesus try to condemn every imagination of man as man goes outside of marriage to create these different relationships. I mean, think about all the 
Think about all the different assortments that's even taking place in our, our day. Uh, that's in violation. Uh, if, if, if marriage can be said to be anything beyond one man and one woman, then you have, um, you've stepped into a deep hole. Then anything is possible. Anything's allowed, right? Uh, you could have uh, one man with two women or two women with, um, with two men. Call that a marriage. Um, what about three women and one man? Call that a marriage. Anything then is is uh, allowed if you once you step away from what Jesus lays down here in Matthew 19. Anything is allowed. Okay, and so by Jesus defining marriage as He does here in Matthew 19, then He basically condemns any other arrangement or assortment of a, of um, arrangements. And there are a bunch of those. You notice that our um, our chocolate candy is becoming more and more than just chocolate candy. You got all sorts of assortments, don't you? You got your sometimes you have chocolate and you have some little creamy strawberry in there. And then sometimes you have chocolate with creamy strawberry and some caramel. And then sometimes you just have chocolate and you've got some little coconut in there. Now when you open up a, a box of chocolate candies here in a holiday, you you have a whole assortment. And that's what we're getting once you once you step away from the boundary, once you step away from what Jesus laid down for marriage, then that's the kind of thing you have. Yeah, all sorts of assortments. What are you going to get when you flip on the TV? And no telling, no telling. Once you step away from from the Bible, then um, it's a dark, dark place. It really is. And so this is how Jesus Jesus actually does condemn it by the things that he does uh, say. Now, staying right here in, in Matthew 19, think about some things that Jesus upholds uh, as he talks here. Um, he upholds creation, right? Um, and he's got uh, the human family right there at the beginning of creation. No huge gap, no, no evolution, no material universe, and then man coming along thousands or, or hundreds of thousands of years later, he's got... Uh, human beings right there at the beginning of creation. Notice how Jesus, um, he upholds the creation of male and female. Uh, the two genders like we talked about uh, last week. And so he, he goes right back to Genesis 1 and we, we remember from last week that God created man, male and female and that begins right down there, not just at birth but right there inside the, the mother's womb. And those characteristics then form the classifications and all the social uh, realms and all the, the inner thoughts of a person from then on. That's the way God uh, designed it. But also, God didn't just state that, but God said, here's my purpose. Be fruitful and multiply. Leave your father and mother and cleave unto your wife. Be fruitful and multiply. So God had a, a particular function in mind. He had a particular family in mind. He had a purpose in mind as he created male and female. And Jesus upholds uh, this creation. Jesus upholds the creation of us as sexual beings. One thing that's often said in favor of uh, this agenda is uh, they will say, well, uh, God made me sexual and so uh, he wants me to explore my sexuality. Well, what's the answer to that? 
But the very one who created you in that way also gave you the means of expressing that, which is what? Through marriage. In fact, in the, in the very same breath that he says, I'm, I'm making them male and female, and almost in that same breath he's saying, they shall be married. They shall leave father and mother and cleave unto the wife, and they shall reproduce. Okay, So that's what, that's what you say. Somebody says, well, we're made sexual. It's right. The one who made you that way also gave you the means of expressing that. Okay. And Jesus, so he upholds the creation here. He upholds the creation of male and female. He, up, he upholds the sexuality of, of male and female. He up, but he upholds the Bible. Notice how he upholds the Bible. And the, the first thing you're going to hear from folks who are out there uh, in opposition to the Bible, they're going to say, well, the, the Bible belongs to another age and time. You know, the Bible doesn't belong in our day. Right. And what are you going to say about that? The Bible belongs to another time, not another time in history, not our history. Not our day. Yeah. Look what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. What else are you going to say? Yeah, Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. So nothing really surprises uh, the Lord. The Bible's the only book that addresses eternity, so it applies to all time. Yeah, the Bible uh, is the only book that, that addresses eternity, so therefore it applies to all time. That's right. Remember that um, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he's telling us, tell, tells his disciples, tells uh, tells us, uh, go teach all of this, and I'll be with you to the end of the world. The message was intended for all time. Okay. God finished his, his, his revelation, his words to man 2,000 years ago, and that message is um, meant to be taught and lived by uh, to the end of the world. The world's still standing, therefore the Bible is still to be our standard. Okay. This is the, these words are what we'll be judged by again on that day. Uh, so uh, Paul said that we'll be judged according to the gospel, Romans 2 and verse 16. Uh, this book, um, according to Jude verse 3, was uh, once for all time delivered unto the saints. When, when the Holy Spirit guided the apostles into all this truth, then uh, it was a once for all once for the ages uh, event. Um, the New Testament is God's final uh, word to man. So these, these words are meant uh, for all time. And so you think about the different things that people might say to try to get us to, um, to accept this agenda, and uh, none of it works because God laid it out so very clearly. I'll tell you this. One way that they work on us is by pounding, pounding us. Just, just like I was trying to show here, and we just don't have time to go through all this, but you can go way back. You know, sodomy was against the law from the founding of the 13 colonies until 1961. Sodomy was against the law in this country. 
But from 1961 onward, and the further you come toward our time, the more progressive and the more aggressive this agenda has gotten. And so they've been pounding us, pounding us, pounding, pounding us. You hear something 10,000 times, you hear something 50,000 times, you hear something 80,000 times, you begin to just assume, well, it must be true. And we've got to be careful about that, especially in regard to our children, because they are particularly, they're aiming for our children, and they're going to pound it, pound it, pound it through books, through television shows, through through the social media, through videos, through school, through a number of avenues, they're going to pound it. If we, if our children never hear us come along and say, hey, that's not right, what you just heard there is not right, if they don't hear us speaking up against it, what are they going to assume after hearing it 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 times in their lives? You just begin to assume that it's true, or at the very least, your, your sensitivity toward it becomes dull. So we must have a love and a passion for Scripture that, that overrides, that's greater than what the world is throwing at us. So this is, a, this is indeed the time where we must be, uh, we must know the book better than any generation has ever known it because the world is coming upon us in such a dramatic way. We won't be doing these kinds of lessons all the time. You know this just from being around. But it's necessary. It's necessary for us to see how the Bible addresses these things. It's necessary for us to be ready to help our children and grandchildren uh, to know what God says about this because... um, if we remain silent, that's one thing, but we know this, the world will not remain silent. We've, we know that. Okay, we'll take about a five-minute break and have our devotional here shortly.